Thanks for joining me for another edition of Inside the Economy. I'm Larry Howes. Quick review of the numbers. The last estimate of what fourth quarter GDP was for 2017 came out. Uh, well, 2.8, 2.7, approaching 3. 3% GDP is a good number when your inflation is at 2. And we'll see whether 2 is going to be a good number for inflation or not. But I think there's a pretty good bet that 2018, we're not going to see GDP quite that high. I think they've already lowered the estimates down 2.5, 2.6, something like that. It's not that the economy is slowing, it's just that it isn't growing as fast as it was. And that's very truthful in this kind of environment. Lower GDP, inflation is a different issue. But a uh, lot of mention in the media about new jobs. Our first crisis in the stock market, 2018, here at the end of January, was, gee, too many new jobs, 300,000 new jobs. Wow, that's inflationary. We don't have the workers, so on and so forth. The market corrected. That was the crisis de jour then. Now the seasonality in those numbers has come back, and the numbers, quote, disappoint. Sorry, they don't. If you look at this, new job numbers have been great. Anything over about 150,000 a month is great. That matches laid off, it's fine. Uh, it's not a point of concern, it's just not the current crisis. Consumers are doing great. They're consistently spending, but they're not consistently cranking up their credit cards. They're not consistently increasing their debt. They're doing a great job. They continue to buy stuff at a reasonable pace, floats the economy. But it isn't accelerating like what normally happens in business cycles like this. It's sort of prudent. And I think that uh, delinquencies like this one, homes, businesses, credit cards, bank loans, are all headed to almost historic lows. The numbers look great. People are paying their bills. And almost all of the residuals from the crisis in 2007 and 8 have been absorbed into the system. There was great news here a little while ago. We talked about it a couple weeks ago. Gee, inflation has picked up a lot. It's going to get better. It's going to help justify the Federal Reserve raising rates, so on and so forth. Well, no. Uh, core CPI is struggling to stay at 1.8. There are very few forces out there that are actually pushing inflation. It really isn't wages. Wage inflation is about 2. Uh, people are paying more for gasoline. Cracked 2 and a quarter, 275 here, a little, whatever the number is. Uh, that isn't particularly inflationary. Usage is down. There needs to be a number of factors pushing inflation, and we really don't have any. And this current discussion about the trade conflict with China uh, is only academically inflationary. More on that later. Uh, the Fed Reserve is going to be looking for inflation to go to and stabilize it too. It's going to be a struggle. Those of us that like the technical side of thing, these are the monetary aggregates, M1, M2, M3, and I won't explain all that stuff. You can email me and ask me. But basically, time deposits, bank loans, deposits in money markets, everything is in the three aggregate monetary aggregates. And the aggregates 
are slowing. They've been slowing for years. At the very least, they're stable. This is not an economy that is picking up inflation and spiraling higher and higher with more activity doing less things. So it isn't an issue. The economy is doing fine, it's just not growing, and there are some things in history that have not repeated itself. Now, on the other hand, just a little while ago here, the 10-year Treasury made several attempts to break 3% the last couple of months. It's been great. Uh, it's settled in about 274, 275. That's a half a point above the two-year. I know this is a little technical, but what happened was Everybody else in the world, and I'm talking about most of the banks, insurance companies, pension funds, anybody who has real assets and needs to have treasury quality in those assets, as soon as the 10-year got close to 3%, bam, they bought. They bought a lot. Uh, they filled up their coffers, they spent their cash, they bought treasuries. What they had as alternatives were the 10-year German, which is paying half a percent, 49 basis points, or even better, the Japanese 10-year, which is paying four basis points, four-tenths of 1%. So what would you pick? Well, they did. Very quickly, the two-year Treasury follows what the Federal Reserve is doing. When the Federal Reserve raises rates, the two-year goes up. Well, longer maturities, 10 years, 30 years, are much more driven by the market. And what this tells us is the market is seeing, well, Federal Reserve is gonna continue to raise. Yeah, we talked about that. We're at one and three quarter percent now, and we're targeting being at two and a quarter percent by the end of 2018. Whether there's three more increases in 2019 is becoming more and more debatable. So. If that's the case, if that is what unfolds with the Federal Reserve, then you're looking at 30-year mortgages in the mid or high fives, uh, Fed funds at two and a quarter, maybe two and a half, prime at five and a half, livable environment. Anyway, that's what we're looking at right now. Now, the little green line here is basically, and we've talked about this in the past, all the people around the world that have bought treasuries since 2007. That's the safe asset, that's the one they want. And by the time this chart gets updated by the Federal Reserve System, you're gonna see another little beep on the foreign side because of the recent buys. All of these numbers add up to about 17 trillion, which is what people own in treasuries. No mystery there, it's just a suggestion that this is the place to be and treasuries are gonna remain popular. Domestic profits, hugely important driver of the S&P 500 and the stock market everywhere are still good. Financials come in 400 billion, and this is a quarter. You've seen these before. Non-financials, regular businesses come in 1.3, 1. 1 point whatever it is, billion a quarter. Profits are okay. They're supporting their stock prices. There isn't a huge bubble brewing in the stock market. There's too much profitability. Now what is brewing out there, which is the current, and I, I'll just call this the crisis du jour, is this so-called trade war. I hate that term. It's not accurate. It's a sound bite. But I will 
give you some data here so you can draw your own conclusions. These are the states that uh, export stuff and get income from who? In this case, if you'll notice, there's a lot of states that say Canada on them. That means those states export to Canada stuff and services. Canada sends them money. In the red, amazingly enough, Mexico, same thing. Lots of money goes to Mexico. Lots of stuff goes to Mexico. A lot comes back. Uh, I really don't understand a lot of why Wyoming trades a lot with Brazil. It's not buying cattle. It must be some other reason. But I do know why Florida trades with Brazil because a lot of Brazilians who had money moved there. We talked about that a couple of years ago. The point is, these states do business and you notice that NAPFA is important. Our two important trading partners, Canada and Mexico, mean a lot. We mean a lot to them, they mean a lot to us. The current NAFTA negotiations that are going on are going to be resolved in some sort of worthwhile way. They've already made, well, I wouldn't say great progress, I'd say reasonable progress. Now, here's the other side of the coin. Those states right there in blue, they import stuff. Goods and services come from, notably, you see a lot of things that say China, and they send money to China. Well, shoes, flat screen TVs, computers, toys, all kinds of things are all made in China. You know they're the low cost manufacturer for the globe. Well, okay. China buys very little from the United States. We buy a lot from them. We are China's biggest customer. Uh, whether it goes through Japan or Singapore or not, the US consumer is the big customer for China. They know that. Uh, things we still import from our other NAPFA trading partners are on there too, significant. The one issue why Oregon trades with Ireland, I've not figured out, but I'll get back to you on that. Now, let's go back to the first one. There is some disparity here. Why is Oregon exporting so much to China? Well, as it turns out, Canada, who doesn't have a pipeline through the United States or to either one of their coasts, puts their oil out of the Alberta tar sands on a train and sends it to Portland. That's big money and something China needs, oil. Oregonians send a lot of lumber to China, something they need. China needs everything. They need energy. They need building materials. They need food. It's a big problem. There's only a couple of places that can provide all of that stuff. Well, over the course of time, and what might be going on in the terms of this disagreement over how much trade is being done, is not necessarily the shoes or the flat screen TVs. Flat screen TVs are gonna be made in Illinois here pretty soon. We've already talked about the smelters in Missouri and so on and so forth. And Apple has made it very clear that they're moving all their screen manufacturing for all of their products, phones and iPads, back to the US. They don't want, what is really at the heart of this trade matter is, they don't want their technology stolen. China, and those of you that have been in China, like I have several times, Chinese, the Chinese steal everything. 
even in the best stores anywhere in the Shanghai, Beijing, anywhere, even Hong Kong. It's simply a question of how high a quality a knockoff you can buy because there's nothing original there. Well, that's just the nature of the beast. That's part of their 100-year plan. Premier P knows this stuff. Those of you that really want to find out something interesting, go on the internet and find out and take a peek at the launch of China's new passenger aircraft. If it reminds you of a 737, that's not gone unnoticed. So, now, this trade issue is not going to be a huge deal. It's not going to have a huge impact in your portfolios. You already know that this is going to be a volatile year. It is simply going to go through maybe the middle of summer, and then there'll be something else. I don't anticipate much in the way of excitement or positive returns in 2018. I'm hoping for flat, maybe a little bit down. The important thing is what the Fed does. We'll watch what the Fed does. We'll see how the bond market reacts. We'll see how the real estate market reacts. That's the important thing, not what's going on right now. Okay, well, thanks for joining me. I'll, uh, I'll update you later. Thank you.